Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. I have a belief, and it's something that has come from my life and my history and my experience of my relationship with God and being involved in the church and being involved in our community, our culture. Excuse me, must have been breakfast. (laughs) I think sometimes that we have established a paradigm in our culture and our society where we choose heaven, not necessarily God himself. And it's not unusual in our society to have different blind spots, different paradigms that don't match up with reality. You know, you think of Newton and the law of gravity. You think of Copernicus and his belief that the sun was the center of the universe. I recently read a book by a woman named Lois Torberg. She's a physicist, and in her later years has decided that she wants to study the Jewish and Middle Eastern culture. And so she's devoted her life to understanding the perspective of that culture and how they see life so that she can better understand the Bible and better understand who God is. When she was a physicist, she had a lab experiment. The law of the pendulum. I had not heard of this till I read the book, but apparently, if you have a chandelier or anything on a string, if it swings, it doesn't matter if it swings a little bit or if it swings a lot. The time it takes to get from one side to the other side is the same. So when she was going after her doctorate, she had a lab experiment where she was going to address this theory. And in her lab experiment, things didn't match up. There was just a minutia of difference in the timing from one side to the other when there was a small uh, uh, travel space and when it was a larger one. So she immediately told herself, well, this has to do, this must have to do with the environment and the lab environment. Maybe there's something about you know, the friction in the air or something that's there that somehow is throwing this law off. So that was her conclusion. I am the farthest thing from a scientist you could possibly imagine. But at the end of the day, the law of the pendulum is not 100% accurate, she discovered later. That there is a slight difference depending on the distance that the pendulum, that the chandelier travels. But in her mind, she was convinced before she even went into the lab what the truth was rather than opening herself up to reality. Think of the early 1900s before we had radio technology. There's a couple of ships, naval ships, that are doing some tactical uh, maneuvers out in the ocean. While they're doing that, there's a battleship The captain of the battleship sees a light in the distance, and he 
starts communicating with his lookout and says, are we on a collision course? He's like, yes. So they communicate via lights and light signals. So they communicate to this other light. It says, we are on a collision course. Please deviate your course 20 degrees. The other light signals back. We need you to deviate your course 20 degrees. The captain says, I am a US Navy captain. Deviate your course 20 degrees. The person responding says, I am a seaman second class. We need you to deviate your course 20 degrees. The captain is infuriated at this point and says, I am a captain in the US Navy, or excuse me, and I am on a battleship. You need to change your course 20 degrees. The light signals back, I am a lighthouse. Change your course 20 degrees. The captain changes course 20 degrees. There are so many things in our lives that we take for granted that we perceive to be reality. And it isn't until sometimes we take a step back and take a look at things from a different perspective that we can see where our blind spots were. And it's my belief that one of those is in our pursuit of heaven. That we have this chase after heaven and that we wanna spend, when we die, we have this fear of going to hell, so we choose heaven. And so we kind of fit Christianity and the Christian lifestyle and somehow force God into the box of our lives so that we can achieve heaven. A lot of times, some of these paradigms that are off course slightly, it's not because of bad intentions. We can have the greatest of intentions and still be off the mark. This last weekend, my wife and I were able to go up to Minnesota. I grew up in Minneapolis and we were able to see some old friends and old family and I was reminded of some old friends that they had a daughter. When she was four or five years old, she was having night terrors. And it was a year, maybe two years, this poor girl, I mean, she would lay awake in her bed for hours, just scared to death, not being able to sleep, waking up in the middle of the night with night terrors. And for one or two years, her parents would go in before bed every night and say, that's okay, you don't need to be scared. Jesus is here with you. So for years they had let her know that, and comforted her with the fact that Jesus is with this young girl. Finally, this one girl responded what was going on in her mind, and she says, that's what I'm afraid of. Where is he? Is he in the closet? Is he under the bed? Where is he? And the very fact of what they were trying to encourage this girl with was what was scaring her. Jesus had become the boogeyman to her. She was somebody that was hiding under the bed or in the closet, and she didn't understand it. So a lot of times we have great intentions and sometimes we've been speaking about truth, but if we don't step back and see the big picture, sometimes we miss out. I think a couple of these things, a couple of things we miss, and we're going to be going over a few this morning, but I think a few that we miss is that if justice is served, the reality of this world is that if justice is served, you and I, we deserve eternal separation from God. That's the truth. That's what we deserve. I think another thing that we miss out is that when we look at the Bible, we see that the victory of the Bible is our personal salvation. 
the personal, the, the victory in the Bible is the victory of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. A result of that is you and I are invited into a relationship that brings eternal life. Let me ask a couple other questions. How many of y'all thought seriously about what you should wear this morning? And not just like, oh, I don't know what I'm in the mood for, but oh, I don't want to wear something that would be offensive or that maybe somehow won't bring glory to God. I have to be honest with you, being up and speaking this morning, I gave quite a bit of thought. It's like, oh, can I wear shorts? <laughs> it's like, this is what I wear on a typical basis, but oh, I'm speaking this morning. Maybe I should put at least jeans on, right? I even asked Ben. I, like, I certainly didn't want to overstep any policies or things at, at Luminous. So I even asked Ben, is it okay to wear shorts? And he said, you know, that's completely up to you, but you may want to defer to the ultimate authority. So I asked my wife, and... Uh, <laughs> And she said, sure, go ahead. Just don't wear those flip-flops because you walk really funny and it makes really strange noises. So no flip-flops, but shorts are good. So I'm here with shorts. But so often we think, oh, if I wear the wrong thing, or you know what, when I pray, I better I have to use the right words. Or when I'm singing, I have to have my heart in the perfect place and... I have to say the right words, and I just have to be in the flow with the music, because if I don't, somehow the glory of God is diminished. I've got news for you this morning. God is just fine, and his glory is not tainted in the least. If I sing out of rhythm, or I have trouble finding the right words in my prayer, or even if I wear shorts, and I'm especially glad for that last one. If you asked, answered yes to any of those questions about stumbling through prayers, worship, what to wear, and a slew of other questions, I'm hoping that this morning's message will, will connect with you. Titled the message, Chasing Heaven. I think we live in a society, if you were to go out in our culture, there's a vast majority, well, probably a majority. If it's not a majority, there are many adults who really wrestle with whether God exists. Many of them wrestle whether Jesus was an actual man who walked the earth, much less the person of God. And yet, in, with the greatest of intentions, we will go and ask people, would you rather go to heaven with streets of gold? No sin, no evil, no pain? Or burn in hell for eternity? Valid question, but that's the basis of sharing what scripture and the gospel are about. Well, I might as well ask, you know, would you rather go on a cruise to the Bahamas next week or get captured by the Taliban and interrogated and possibly killed. But, it, you know, it, it's kind of a no-brainer. Of course, anybody we ask, do you want to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? We're going to choose heaven. So then we choose heaven and we decide, oh, we're going to try and fit our lives and our faith around that. And I want to tell you, if you don't get anything out of this morning, we don't choose heaven 
We choose God. We choose faith in Him. As we choose that faith in Him, we'll hear a little bit more in a second about eternal life, and that includes heaven. But there's so much more to it than that. Now, I'm going to guess most of us here this morning will fit into one of three categories. You may be one of those people that doesn't understand who God is, may not believe in Him. I hope this message will touch you in some way that points you to Him this morning. Some of us this morning are probably in a place where our faith is committed. We're consistently living a life of faith, but somehow there's a passion, there's a joy and understanding of who God is that's missing. I hope that somehow this morning you'll be able to find a glimpse of that passion and who God is. Some of you are consistently finding joy in Christ. And I hope that something this morning will encourage you. And maybe there'll be just a little nugget that you can take out and help your lives as well. So, Tad, who the heck are you? <laughs> You're not a pastor here. What in the world are you doing up here this morning? So, I'll tell you, I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, went to church, a real similar church to this one, theologically. Uh, culturally, it was quite a bit different. We had uh, a lot of hymns, and I actually love hymns. I'm so grateful for our musicians and our praise team. They are so awesome, and the energy and passion that they bring is the energy and passion that should be brought when you're worshiping God. The church I grew up, um, some amazing people, and I think there's some people that had some deep faith, but it was a little more stoic in the way they worshiped. So so grateful for Luminous and what they have. I love sports. I've been schooled by Gabe and Caesar and Chase and Mason and everybody else on the basketball court, Austin, many a time. But I'll still get out there. Uh, I love sports and athletics competition. I have three kids. They are 30, 27, and 23. So we are empty nesters and loving it. Uh, I have an amazing wife, Joni. Uh, who deserves way better, but after 34 years is still putting up with me, if you can believe that. <laughs> so, when Ben asked me to uh, speak this morning, he's like, now, Tad, you know you can't use any curse words. <laughs> I said, okay, I know, I know, I can't guarantee anything, but I'll do my best. But I did. Ben is amazing. We are so, so uh, privileged to have somebody like Ben, Ben and Brandy. Ben has a heart that is, I've gotten to know Ben. I was one of the first people from San Antonio we met. He found me online. I'm in real estate and found me online. I helped him buy a home, and I, we developed a relationship and a friendship that has gone on since then. It's been about five years now. So I think uh, probably one of the most important things you need to know about me not that I'm 55, that's not what you need to know, but at 55, it was probably growing up in the church, not until I was almost 30, that I had the greatest paradigm shift in my life. Because I grew up chasing heaven. I grew up in church hearing about the Bible and everything else that went on. I grew up living a Christian lifestyle and believing that, you know what? God was really pretty lucky to have me. 
Because he died on the cross for all these people that are really horrible sinners. But I felt like I probably hadn't done early in my life anyway as much that was that horrible. So he really probably didn't need to die for me. Maybe just a slap on the wrist or something else and he'd have been okay. And it wasn't until I broke out and recognized the reality of the situation and the truth of what the gospel was. For whatever reason, God chose my late 20s to bring me to an understanding of what that was. And my life has changed ever since. I still have blind spots. And those blind spots are many. And so we're going to take a look at just some of those blind spots this morning. To do that, I want to start with John chapter 4, verses 7 through 26. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get the live, that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This living water sounds like something that I'd love to have. So what is it that he's talking about? For us, I think it's important for us to figure out and to obtain this living water. We need to understand the source. We need to know who God is. I think in our culture, there's an unspoken paradigm that says God is worthy of worship because we are grateful for what he has done in saving us. Have you ever felt like you're having a hard time emotionally or passionately worshiping God? Sometimes we think in a dry period in our spiritual life, we really just need to go back and remind ourselves who God is and how grateful 
we are for what he has done. I think there's a tremendous value in doing that. But I would argue this morning that there's something even more helpful during those dry periods. And that is simply going to God himself and recognizing him as the source. The shift, the paradigm shift that I would like to recommend this morning is that God is worthy of worship. End of story. Period. God does not deserve our worship because of what he did for us. Yes, we're grateful what he did, but that has nothing to do with his value and his worth and who he is. Question for you this morning that is a excuse me, tough question for some people to, to contemplate. If Jesus had never come, would God still be worthy of worship? If Jesus had never come, in other words, if you and I have no opportunity for salvation, based on what I said earlier, if you believe me, if justice is served, we deserve hell, is God still worthy? I would argue yes. God and is worthy of worship because of who he is. Because of who he is, he had the opportunity and the ability to give us the gift of eternal life, and he chose to do that. But whether he chose to do that or not, he is still God of the universe. And he is equally worthy, regardless of which choice he made. It's so important to understand who the giver is. And as we look at who the giver is, in verse 10, it says, If you knew who I was, he tells the woman. If you knew who I was, this conversation would be going way differently. If you understood who I was, you'd be asking way different questions. If you understood who I was, you would be behaving completely differently. When we understand who God is, when we understand who Christ is, it changes the way we act, the way we think, the things we do. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Who is this he? Just one snapshot in Psalm 34, 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. A, he's good. But what I really love is in Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And there is nothing you or I or anyone can do to divert him from what he's going to do. And in that is the glory and value, and in his majesty, that's who we worship. Second thing, I think in order to drink the living water, we have to understand what the living water is. We have to understand what the gift is that he's given us. There's an unspoken paradigm, I believe, 
that heaven or eternal life is an afterlife that begins when we die. Any of y'all ever thought about that? Okay, when I die, I hope to go to heaven. Heaven is something that's out there. It's off in the future. Eternal life is something that we think of, it's a, and it's a length of time. The paradigm shift I would like to suggest this morning is that eternal life is a quality of life with God that brings joy, and it begins right now. It begins when we begin our faith journey. We don't have to wait till we die to go somewhere that we don't know where it is to experience the joy in Christ. It's something that begins right now. The Hebrews in the Old Testament, when they looked at eternal life, it had more to do with the quality of life than it did with the quantity of life. They didn't think of it as this infinite thing. They thought of it as this amazing thing. And I think in our culture we have missed that. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's a spring of water that wells up inside of us into eternal life. It's not something that we look for, that we somehow dutifully obtain through this lifestyle, something that we achieve, that we go to later on. It is a lifestyle that we choose right here, right now. And that is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, so no one should boast. In Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul puts it this way. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. Now, as far as being able to move mountains with you know, faith the size of a mustard seed, etc., I don't know where you all stand on that, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. I can do all things through him. I can endure all things. No matter what happens around me, I can find the life and the joy in Christ, I can be content in any situation. And in that way, I can do all things. There's nothing that can cut off my source of living water. You can imprison me, you can shipwreck me, you can do anything, but that living water comes directly to me from the Father, through Christ. And there's nothing you can do that will take that away. I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. The last thing to obtain the living water, I think we need to understand what our choice is. 
The unspoken paradigm that I think sometimes we follow in our culture is that we choose God because he is the path that leads to heaven. What I'd like to offer us this morning is a paradigm shift that says God offers us the gift of eternal life that brings a joy that can only be found in him. The first response is a very common word that you've all heard before, and that's just simply faith. And I want you to notice in, this, uh, in these verses in John, when it comes to faith, faith isn't this, it's not a mystical thing. It's not this thing that we put up on a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, that we, we, we somehow have an esteem that goes with faith. Faith is reality. Faith is real life. He meets the woman at the well, and he meets her where she is at. He asks her about her husbands and everything else. He knows where she's at, and that's where he meets her. And that's where he meets you and I. Faith is not us elevating ourselves to something that we are not. Faith is meeting God where we are and acknowledging who he is. I think sometimes, uh, I had a good friend who put it this way, uh, sometimes in our culture, we believe that one of the most important things we can do is the way he put it, keep our moral boat afloat. And as we find life in Christ and find living water, we want to do things that bring honor and glory to him. But we do it because of our faith and our relationship with him. It shouldn't necessarily be a duty that we follow. We're choosing God and what he represents and what he wants and the life we find in him. We're not choosing a lifestyle or a discipline or a duty that somehow helps us obtain heaven. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Hebrews 11. If you're unfamiliar with it, in Hebrews 11, it, it lays out lots of what we in our day call heroes of the faith. So you'll look at Abraham, Samson, David, Jephthah, Ruth, all kinds of people. And in Hebrews, it repeats about each one of them that God saw them as righteous because of their faith. Now, if you know those stories, I don't think there's any one person in that list that would qualify to be an elder in our church. If you look at their lives, they would not qualify to be an elder in any church. I'm not suggesting that we follow the path that some of them went at different stages of their life. But when God views us, he doesn't view us as somebody that should robotically execute certain behaviors. He wants our hearts. He wants us to choose him for who he is. When we do that, as we choose faith, the second part of our choice, the second part of our, faith, our response is that there's a joy that we find in him. It isn't step one faith, step two duty. It's step one faith, 
Step two, overwhelming joy. When you truly recognize who God is, it's amazing. In Matthew 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I don't know how many of you found a lot of treasure, but if I had a treasure, I'd go a long ways to get that. And it would make me really happy. And that's just an earthly treasure. There's a treasure that goes way beyond that, that once you get to understand it, I know what an earthly treasure is. I can taste it. I can feel it. If we're talking about money or whatever the treasure is for you, I know what that is. It's real tangible. Sometimes God, we have to work a little harder to understand who he is. But once we do understand it, treasures on earth pale in comparison. He is an amazing treasure. Psalm 37.4 puts it this way, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 116.11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Life of faith is a life of choosing joy. Choosing happiness and contentment that can only be found from the ultimate source. John Piper tells us that the problem with us is not that we're too selfish. The problem is we're not selfish enough. We settle for these earthly treasures. We settle for these earthly pleasures. And we've got a God who has so much more for us. If we just be willing to drink from that living water. Piper, uh, John Piper, a pastor out of Minneapolis, uh, believes there's, there's three stages to worship. Kind of in reverse order, there are these times in our life where we are drinking this living water and it's overwhelming us and the joy that we have is amazing. And when we understand who God is and find joy in Him, that's worship. But if you're anything like me, you're not there 24-7. So there's times where you're looking at that mountaintop experience and saying, man, I wish I was there and I'm not. I've tasted it before. But the desire to want to be on that mountain, the desire to have that overwhelming joy, the pursuit up that mountain is in and of itself worship. Some of you may this morning be saying, you know what, I've never been on that mountain. I've never tasted the joy like you're talking about this morning. But I'm looking and that's something I want. That's something I crave. That is worship. That is an understanding of who God is. Piper defines worship as this. He says, worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. Worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. I think back to, uh, if I can grab that cup here real quick, uh, I was in youth ministry for about 14 years here in San Antonio. That's what brought me down from Minneapolis in 1994. 
long time ago. And I think there is one illustration that I used that I got really excited about. It. We're talking about a similar topic this morning and, and worshiping God and what worship is. And I said, it's kind of like this. And I didn't go to this extreme this morning. But the room that was probably, if you, if you took the side aisles, there was a room about this size and probably 40 teenagers. And we had, I'd gone to Costco and got these ginormous bags of M&Ms. You know, you look at the biggest bag of M&M and then like triple it, and that's the ones I was able to find. And I gave everybody M&Ms. And I said, worship is like, this is how we perceive the paradigm that we see worship as is it's kind of like this. And as they all had M&Ms, I said, try to throw your M&Ms in the cup. And I held a cup up on stage. Actually, it wasn't a stage, it was on flat, but up front. So I've got 40-some people throwing hundreds of M&Ms up here at me. And I honestly can't remember if one or two of them got in or not. But... That's how we view worship. We come here, oh, if I sing the right words, my heart's in the right place, then somehow God will be glorified and all bring glory to God because I did it well. I did it right. I think there's a different way to look at it. In my old age, I don't even know if I'll be able to get down, but we asked all the kids to get down on their knees. I told them to put their hands behind their back and tilt their head back. And I had adults with these giant, ginormous bags of M&Ms. And I had instructed them ahead of time, when they tilt their head back and open their mouth, you come open a bag of M&Ms and just pour it so that their mouth is filled and that it just flows all over their face and goes all over the floor. And when we did that, Saw 40 people, not only with their mouths and faces getting covered in M&Ms, but they're literally diving on the floor after the extra M&Ms. They couldn't get enough M&Ms. They're sticking them in pockets. They're doing everything to grab those M&Ms. That's worship. Worship isn't trying to throw darts at God and hoping that we're bringing glory to Him. Worship is understanding who God is and saying, God, please let me see that. Bring your M&Ms. Let me reflect your glory back to you. Because you can receive glory only in and of yourself. All I can do is reflect your glory back to you when I understand it. Oh, it's a little harder to get up these days. Once we understand that nothing brings glory, that we don't have the ability to bring glory to God, we simply have the ability to reflect back to him the glory that he exudes. We can absorb it. We can bask in it. That's what worship is. And that's where the living water comes from. It's not what we throw as darts at him. It's what we take in and the joy that we find in him. I do want to just briefly say, if you found anything interesting this morning, I'm not a pastor. I'm in real estate. I love real estate, but there's nothing I'm more passionate about than conversations like this. So if you have any questions or anything you'd like to talk about, I'll put my uh, information on the screen, take a snapshot of it with your phone. I'd love to sit down and talk more about this with you if you would like to do that. There's nothing I'm more passionate about. Understanding faith 
understanding worship is about getting to know and understand God. We don't choose heaven. We choose God and the eternal life that he brings that starts right now. If you would stand with me, we pray. Father, we are so grateful this morning for the joy that you bring. Father, we thank you for the spring that you provide, the spring of living water that brings a joy that we can only obtain through faith in you and through an understanding of who you are and worship of you. Father, we pray that regardless of whether we're on the top of the mountain or climbing in the mountain or just wanting to view the mountain, that you will give us a deeper taste of who you are, a better understanding of the reality of who you are and the majesty that you represent. Pray this in your precious name. Amen.